Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Pat and Rose Show. Oh, I'm still reeling. We just had probably the most or one of the most unique conversations we've ever had. A, a Heavy is a very, very accurate uh, description. And yeah, so so buckle up. That's what you're going to be in for. Kyle Hayne joined us. He once was a uh, police officer who then experienced a traumatic brain injury and still suffers from the effects of that and post-traumatic stress. And Pat, these are some of the some of the craziest stories I've ever heard, and it really put a lot of things in perspective. Man, I tell you what, Kyle's story from start to finish, it, it's not too often that I sit overwhelmingly with my mouth closed, just unable to speak and just listen to what the person is saying because it's so crazy to me it's so just unusual compared to what we (laughs) typically hear and Kyle's story was one of those the heaviest podcast we've done so far I believe and I mean I I can't do it justice I think we just need to get into it and let everybody hear it like Pat said this is uh the heaviest podcast we've done uh it's not a pick-me-up but there is a happy ending in that Kyle is doing amazing things and trying to help others who have suffered through similar things. So keep that in mind. And uh, for the first 20 minutes, you're going to hear one of the craziest stories uh, probably that I've ever heard of, of a physical altercation with a police officer. And um, with that in mind, we hope that there's some learning to do, and we hope that you enjoy this conversation with Kyle Hayne. All right, Pat, are you ready to get into this? Well, I mean, let's just dive in. I don't know where we're going to start or where we're going to go, but let's just dive in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this young man who is joining us today sent an email, reached out via uh, initially Pat Sherwood's Instagram, and the story that I read is like a action novel, it's a comedy, it's a drama, it's, it's got everything. It's crazy, man, the story that you sent. So first of all, Kyle Hine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is super exciting. And we got to, I think we just got to go back to the beginning. I mean, to first set up kind of who you are and, and how you fit into this whole thing. Once upon a time as a young man, you had dreams of becoming a police officer. And I want to start there. Um, tell, tell me about getting yeah, involved that, with uh, that was the beginning of the road from what I could tell. Yeah. So you hear a lot about, um, you know, young kids that want to grow up and be, you know, doctors and firefighters and stuff like that and police officers. And I truly believe that that was a calling on my life ever since, uh, you know, I was a little guy. As far as I can remember, back to elementary school, I always wanted to be a police officer. And um, so I continued to pursue that throughout high school and all that good stuff. And once I got up into high school, it, it didn't change. So I was able to link up with a close friend of my father who was a detective of our local police department. And um, he's like, hey, you should come check out this program. It's called the Explorer Program. We take in you know, young kids from 16 to, I think it was like 19 at the time. And uh, you get to go on ride-alongs with the police and go on different calls and stuff like that. And at 16, that seems like the coolest thing. I get to go put a uniform on and, you know, um, go see what this this police work's all about. So um, I ended up doing that. I got in there right when I was 16. And uh, in that, we got to go to a lot of different training camps and academies and stuff like that. So each summer, I would go up to northern Michigan to uh, Camp Grayling, and they would put us through a, a half a week of a paramilitary-type boot camp. So at 16, you're, 
you're absolutely petrified, but at the same time, you get to play with some cool stuff. And um, so I did that for a couple of years. And then at 18, that same uh, department that I was working with um, had a position open up as a civilian. So uh, I got hired there, uh, was put through college. What, what does that mean, sorry, as a civilian? So you can get hired to the department with the promise of going into the force afterwards, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So the position, uh, being a cadet, was a non-sworn position. So I just worked in the the office, did some clerical stuff, delivered, Got it. delivered subpoenas and stuff like that. And um, with that, they would uh, they would pay for my um, college, and um, after that, put me through the police academy. And upon completion of the uh, police academy, if I completed it, then they would uh, I'd be sworn in. So. All that came to fruition, and uh, on November, I think it was November 8th of 2011, I became a uh, sworn officer. Uh, in your email that you sent, it said, yeah, at 21 years old, you were on the road and ready to rock as a brand new police officer. I was trying to wrap my mind around that. I'm trying to remember back to being a 21-year-old and how much I did <laughs> or did not have the world figured out, uh, know how to respond to situations appropriately and effectively. And that's just a normal life. That's not as a 21-year-old showing up to chaos and domestic mm -hmm. violence and you know intoxicated individuals. What was that like at 21? Right. That's, that's a good question. You say uh, I, was, I was ready to rock. I didn't know that I was, I was going to get rocked. You know, when I was... Uh, 16 back when I would go on ride-alongs I got to get a taste of it mm -hmm. but that was you know going with a, a superior officer somebody who's been there for a long time and uh, like I saw my first homicide I think at 16 oh, wow. and I uh, really didn't think too much of it and then That's I got put out there no it's not right um so when I when I get out there and um I'm working the road and then I it just kind of sunk in that this is it um, you get sent to a call and all this training that you had previously in the police academy, um, hopefully it sticks with you. And uh, <clears throat> you just get put in, <clears throat> excuse me, you get put in different situations that um, you just really can't prepare for. You, you can prepare and you go through all the training and, you know, read the books and watch the different slides and go through scenarios and stuff. But once you, you're out there and you see it and you taste it and you're, you're a part of it, um, it's just a whole new ball game. So it was a it was a huge surprise. If there's a young 21 year old brand new police officer listening to this podcast, what's your advice to set him up for success? Man, if there's a brand new 21 year old out there, I'd say to set him up for success is uh, find a superior officer that you trust, and anytime they give you advice, take heed to it. Um, but also take care of your mental state. You know, so many times in the police academy, we're doing all physical, physical, physical. Um, but from what I can tell, it, at least um, we barely would touch on the the mental aspect that it has on individuals. So I'd say sharpen up on that. And uh, if there's anything that ever bothers you, don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to get help. So uh, at 21, you go in, and this is, I mean, in some ways it must have been an all-time high because this was a childhood goal you wanted to accomplish. You got in. So when did when did problems begin? Because part of your story, we're going to go down uh, a sadder part, almost kind of dark, right? Uh, eventually, this turned into some PTSD. So when did that start kind of manifesting itself? When did you notice it? 
Yeah, so going to these different calls, everything was so, uh, I want to use high speed. Our call, our call volume was super high. After you go to a high-stress call, uh, you just you really didn't have time to, to debrief from this, right? So we'd get sent to call A, it might be a shooting, something like that, or you see a dead body, and, and then you go to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. Um, you try to go home, you go to your family, you go to your friends. Um, and, and things just started to see, you know, seem a little bit different with that. Um, and about a year onto the road, um, I got sent to a um, dispatch to a call where I, I ended up getting a, a head trauma that was a TBI and ultimately led to having post-traumatic stress coupled with the TBI. So at that point is when I started to notice um, just changes in me. And those sorry, changed. I'm sorry. I just want to clarify you. The call was someone who had a TBI or you actually experienced traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I actually, um, I experienced a traumatic brain injury from that. Uh, and that kind of ties in with my whole story on, you know, how I, I say being physically fit, um, helped save my life in that, but I wasn't really, you know, mentally prepared for what was to come. But yeah, from that call, I sustained a traumatic brain injury. And can can we talk? Can we can we explore it? Can we talk about it? What what was the actual what happened? What went down? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was uh, November two thousand eight, and um, right before that, I was working the south side of our city, and um, I see this vehicle go past behind me on a street that I'm really familiar with. It's it's nothing new. I've you know been around that side of town quite a bit, and um, I ended up stopping this guy. And, uh, this guy, when he stopped, he pulled into a convenience store and he kind of, he was swerving all over the road or all over the, um, the parking lot that he pulled into and something, you know, just didn't seem right. I started to see him bend over, um, reach under the seat, all that good stuff. I didn't have time to grab my radio call for backup. I ended up getting out of the car really quick, ran to the driver's side of the car and he was trying to grab a, he had a loaded revolver under the street, under the seat. Uh, so I pulled him out of the car got him in custody. And I was on cloud nine at that point, you know, backup was showing up and, uh, because there was an officer who was close who saw my, my lights go on. And, um, I, I called um, somebody else on the department that apparently was following this vehicle. And, uh, this guy was actually ID'd. He was headed to the other side of the city to commit a homicide. Oh, wow. So I was on cloud nine, you know, I'm fairly new in my career and I'm like, I just nabbed this guy up and I had, it just was a basic stop, right? So took him to the jail, did that, and then that's kind of where the story begins. I came off that, as you can imagine, just on a, a high. You know, my adrenaline was going and um, feeling really good. And what was so, um, it kind of gets me to this day, is I wasn't supposed to work that night. I was actually supposed to go on a blind date. So now I think, I'm like, man, if I just went on that blind, no blind way. date, I don't know if the, the course of my life would have changed, right? Um, so I, I clear the, the jail and, um, I go to the local convenience store to grab a energy drink to kick me back up and get some caffeine in me for the night. And, um, they put out a, a fight call, which was right down the road from me. And they said, uh, there was, you know, about 50 or so juveniles fighting in this, uh, apartment complex. 50. So we got 50. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of blew over my head when I heard it. I was in that, I think, uh, kind of Superman adrenaline. You're ready, ready to go. You yeah, yeah, you're... ready to rock again, right? Yeah. Um, so I drove to it. I, I wasn't but a half mile away. And I pull in, and sure enough, there was 
I'd say close to 50, you know, people gathering around. Some were fighting. It looked just like, you know, amount of people uh, gathering around each other. And um, so my thought is I, I called for additional units to start that way. They knew where I was at. And um, what we usually would do when something like that would happen was we would turn our lights and sirens on and, and when you hear that whoop, whoop, you know, everybody just kind of scatters, mm -hmm. takes off and nobody wants to stick around. So I did that. And, you know, the, the, the 50 people just parted and uh, there was a couple people still standing there and my attention went directly to them. And I observed a male uh, holding a female and she was, she was wrapped up around the neck. Um, and then another male had what I thought was a, a pistol at the time and was just repeatedly, you know, going after her head with it, just, wow. just hitting her over and over. And um, so, you know, you can Monday morning quarterback this. Um, it's one of those things which once you're in it, you just you just I just ran to it, you know, not thinking about everybody else that was around me, not thinking of the, the nature of the call or anything like that. And um, I got out. And I took off after this guy. And what I didn't know that I discovered later after I was able to arrest him was um, this guy a year ago, a year prior to this call, I got my first weapon off of. I took my, my first gun off this guy. Oh, and this guy was hitting. already out, you know, doing his thing. So he was, uh, he was hopped up on dope and, um, you know, he didn't want to go to prison. So he had, uh, he had a lot of fight in him once I, once I, gave chase to him. So once I got out of my car, he ended up, um, running the lady. What I recall is, is later finding out that this was some sort of gang violence initiation type thing. But irregardless, there was a female that was getting mm -hmm. the snot kicked out of her, you know? Sure. And sure. I had no clue what was, what was happening. The way these apartments are set up, they're staggered, um, in, in a fashion where it's almost like a block. And in the back, some of them have you know, a park and stuff like that, but there's not a whole lot of lighting. Um, so that's the way he took off running. So within a couple yards, I was able to um, catch up to him. Um, and that night, because I wasn't supposed to be working, they asked if we could, you know, come in and do some problem solving. And when we did that, we would go, they'd give us different assignments, different areas to work. And I had uh, fatigues on, so like BDUs, and uh, which was, a little easier to run and, and move around in. Sure. Um, but we were running from the um, parking lot and we got up to um, the sidewalk and then the sidewalk turned into that grassy area that I was talking about next to the apartments and um, caught up to him. And uh, I went to go tackle him from behind and I just overshot him. I, I was going quick. He fell over. I kind of did a leap leapfrog over his back, kind of rolled around a little bit. Um, and then at that point he jumped on my back. Once he got on my back, I couldn't really, you know, gain too much leverage. I tried to do all the, you know, ground avoidance, ground fighting techniques that they would mm -hmm. teach us. And, um, it's, it was so crazy because all the moving, you know, parts that are going on at this time, I could feel him tug at my gun. So my gun was being pulled. Um, so I'm trying to free my hands, trying to, you know, retain my weapon. Um, and then all of a sudden I feel blows to the back of the head. So I start getting hit in the back left-hand side of the head over and over and over again. Oh my God, dude. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm nervous. <laughs> hey, I'm so nervous am I. It's right. right. Now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that kept going on for a, a short period of time. I couldn't tell you how long it lasted. 
usually we had officers all over, right? And mind you, there's already officers coming to my location because they knew where I was at. Um, but I didn't hear sirens because nobody heard me, you know, call out that they heard me call out the initial chase and then everything just went, went quiet. And I'm sure they um, can't get there fast enough. Right. Which is, a, it's an awful feeling on the other end to, to be that responding officer to say, Hey, I don't know what the heck is going on, but I, I got to get there. You know, mm -hmm. my, my partner's there going through God knows what. Um, so he worked me over a little bit and to put it, put it nicely, I was getting the snot kicked out of me, you know, and, uh, I I've been in a lot of altercations before and, uh, I'm, I'm a larger guy and, um, he, he was still, still giving it to me. Um, he, I started to do, you know, like a push up and, and, and was able to get him off. He rolled off, got up and he took off running. Um, at that point I wasn't extremely, you know, fatigued and the blows to the head weren't too bad. I didn't think they were at least. And, uh, my adrenaline was going and, um, his dope was still kicking in and he just, uh, he took off running again and, um, I got up, got behind him and I was able to catch him before he got in the back area of the apartment complexes. So, um, this area is not too far from me now. So once in a while I'll go revisit and oh, just geez. be thankful for you know, being alive. And I always remember that there's this big pine tree there. And then next to it, there's this corner apartment, which has some significance. I'll, I'll tell you about in a little bit. Um, so same thing, he's running and, uh, I take off and go to get him from behind. Same thing. I overshot him. And, uh, it was, a uh, in Michigan or, you know, November's, you know, last week it was 60 and today it's you know, 19 out. Um, but that year the, um, the grass was really dewy and it was kind of warm that night. So once I hit him, I just, I just slid this time and I was on my belly and Jeez. sure enough, same thing, same thing that happened the first time he jumped on my back. Now, uh, I would wear my microphone. Usually you see guys, you know, they'll wear it on their shoulder. I always like to wear it, especially when I was in BDUs on my chest. Right. And I had guys that told me, you know, don't wear it on your chest. You know, you're going to get strangled one day. And I'm like, how, how am I going to get strangled by this being on my, sure enough, that's what was about ready to happen. Um, so this guy gets back on my back. I'm laying flat on the ground. Uh, at this time, I can remember hearing sirens in the distance. So that gave me a little bit of hope. And I wasn't too far out of the fight yet. It was okay. Um, backup's coming. Um, so this guy's on my back, um, once again, starts tugging at my gun. You know, he knew, he knew what he was doing. Um, I feel a pull, pull, and I always would carry a backup. And that backup was a revolver that I would carry in my pocket. So through my history, being an officer, I had a TBI and two concussions after that. And every time I got a head injury, I left my revolver in the car. And this night was the start of that for some reason. I don't know if I was in a hurry or just wasn't prepared. I left my back up in the car because at this point um, I would have been justified to, you know, take my level level of force up if, if I could get back up. Mm -hmm. um, so at one point I thought he did have my weapon. I couldn't feel it anymore. What happened was my uh, my duty belt just ended up shifting. Right. So that shifted. Um, now the blows start coming in same side of the head. You know, he was crossing over right-handed just started hitting me in the back of the head. I turned my head, um, caught me in the side of the face. And at that point, um, I just did everything I could to, 
to block it, right? Um, so that went on for, again, I don't know how long. Um, that's the point when I remember the transition of feeling that microphone go around my neck, that cord. You know, I, I could still, when we talk about it, it sounds crazy, but I can feel it, right? So it's, uh, you just felt that cord tightening up on my neck. Um, I already was extremely winded from what was taking place. Um, adrenaline, whatever was going through my body, I, I have no idea, but I, I was getting weak. Um, I remember, I, I didn't black out, but I was really fading in and out, right? And um, what I didn't know what was going on is that apartment that I told you guys about just a second ago was there was a, um, there was a female in there that looked outside and she ended up calling the police department and she said, you guys need to get here quick. There's an officer getting the, you know what, kicked out of them. Mm -hmm. And um, thank God that, you know, she called. Um, so it, they amped it up a little bit. I'm, I'm assuming they put this over the radio. Um, at this point, I, I, I start to get really foggy. This is all still going on. I still feel the tugging of the belt. Um, I ended up using both my hands to try to break you know, the, give me a, a barrier so I could get some oxygen, which wasn't, you know, it was a coiled microphone. I just put my fingers in there. But now by doing that, what happens, your, your head is fully exposed, right? So I'm on my back. Um, and this is where I joke around with people and I say, hey, a burpee saved my life. Um, <laughs> was, Good old functional was, movement. Yeah, right. So whenever I hear somebody when I was coaching say, hey, I hate burpees, I would go into this long spiel the survival story of what I'm telling you guys. And then after it was usually somebody going, I'm so sorry for complaining about that. Like I'm going to do more burpees. Um, so I started fading out. Um, and it, it felt like somebody just, just picked me up. I, I, I pushed up, was able to you know, swing my legs through, stand up and he went flying off my back. Um, he stumbled back. I remember that because I turned around and I was, I was staggering side to side, right. Trying to get my bearings together. And I just got a second wind and uh, he took off running towards the back area of this apartment complex. And I took off chasing him. And I don't know how in detail you guys want to get in the, the story. Um, but it got super violent. The altercation did. Um, and, and those are those things where if I could go back to telling a young recruit that's listening, mm -hmm. um, you get, you got to do stuff by the book and you got to train, but at the same time, you got to go home at night. If right. I would have known it's 2017 and in 2008, that this event would change my life forever would drastically change my life. Um, I wouldn't have changed how hard I, I fought, but I just want that to instill in somebody is to, to, you go home at night. And um, it got to that. I knew if I went down again, I probably was, I wasn't going to get back up. Wow. And so we fought and we fought. And I, I uh, one of my buddies I went through the academy with, um, I heard him on the radio. So at this point, my radio's off, right? It's still connected to my belt, but it's, it's doing one of those things when I was running after him, just hitting off my leg. And uh, I remember him going, hold on, buddy, we're coming. Hold on, buddy, we're coming. And just hearing that, hearing that, I heard sirens coming, but now we had shifted to the backside of this apartment complex. So nobody knows where the heck I'm at. They see an empty patrol car. There's people still staggering around. 
there was a neighbor who called 911 and said, you know, this guy's getting a, mm-hmm. I'll say snot kicked out of him, right? Um, and nowhere to be found. So this guy, this buddy of mine, he decides, hey, I'm going to get out on foot and I'm going to look for him. So at this point, this guy and I, um, you know, we were going back and forth and there's noises that I can still hear that go through my head that, uh, that happened during an altercation that it just doesn't seem to go away, you know? And, uh, that led to him and myself, bad guy and myself laying flat on our backs. So I remember we're side by side. We're probably a couple yards apart. He's doing nice shallow breaths, trying to sit, you know, sit up. I'm next to him. I'm trying to sit up. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. Are you know both, you both just ex- exhausted from the battle? Totally exhausted. Totally just gassed where you can't get up. Wow. And uh, I, I was still rocked, you know, with getting in the head, of, hitting the head a bunch of times. And I just remember, you know, breathing and looking at him and just thinking, I'm going to win. I'm going to get up and I'm going to come over there and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win. And, um, at that point I heard my buddy saying, I'm coming, hold tight. I'm coming. And sure enough, I just see him running through this back lot and he comes to, you know, the Calvary comes to, to rescue ends up picking this guy up, gets him in custody. Um, the last thing I remember, um, was, a, a good sergeant and another patrol officer picking me up underneath the arms, under my armpits, and then taking me to the hospital. And um, I don't remember too much, if any, of going to the hospital. Uh, don't really know what transpired uh, until actually before we chatted, I, I was pulling up some documents and some medical records. And initially, they diagnosed me with a concussion. And what they didn't know is that with further treatment and and looking into this, it actually resulted in a traumatic brain injury, which a lot of the symptoms don't show up sometimes till years later. Right. Uh, All right. Hold on. Time out. (laughs) I got to catch my breath. That is one of the most stressful, insane, outrageous stories that I've heard firsthand. And I know this is probably something that happens on a consistent basis with people in uniform. And I know that's why you're so passionate about your story. I got to know what happened and I appreciate you using the word snot, but I got to know what happened to that asshole. Like what, where, where did he go? What's, what's, where, where's he at? Yeah. He's in prison he's still in prison. for this incident. Last time I checked, he was, Good. and, uh, I check on, on that date when it rolls around. Did like, you look at, did you, did you, was there an opportunity to look that man in the eye at some point and understand that like, you know, he was the person that you had gone through battle with. These are probably menial details at this point in your life because you've come so far and you've done so many things. But um, having just heard this story, I'm, I'm, I'm gripped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we after that, we didn't end up in the courtroom. But there was a time when my um, you know, partner uh, picked this guy back up and we were face to face. And I, I just looked at him and, and you know, I, st- I still see him. I still see him when I when I see that. And I, I try not to give him too much hold on my life. Mm-hmm. Right. But I know what he caused. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to come from that. But uh, I, I don't know if closure came from that or if, or if that answered uh, the question. But it, it just, you know, it sits in your, your, your gut and your brain at a different place. I, I have a question, too. And this is back in 2008, right? 
Correct. And so potentially now it's 2017, about to be 2018. Maybe the culture has changed a bit. Um, uh, you know, I've got a, a history in the military, which is, is not really known for you don't sit around and talk about your feelings and there's no emotional healing going on. So even before this incident, you know, like you said, you roll up on a homicide. Somebody's beating the crap out of their wife. I mean, you see on a daily basis horrors that stick with people. How do cops cope with that? How do you decompress? Are you just expected to keep your mouth shut and show up to work the next day? Yeah, that that's what uh, that's what I've seen quite a bit. That's what um, I'd, I'd say in a, a very nice way happened to me is that once I came, you know, after that, I uh, I guess I went home that next day. My, my parents had to pick me up, right? Um, ended up staying at their place. And, and it wasn't until last year I asked my father, I'm like, what changed after that? And he said, hey, you just were different. And, and, and that's something um, totally different. Um, but when I went back to work and I started seeing a doctor after this, this is when I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, right? And it actually wasn't a psychologist that diagnosed me with it. It was a, a heart specialist because of what my body physiologically was doing for my brain telling it to do. So when I went to the department, I didn't know that this was taboo, right? Mm -hmm. That um, saying, hey, I got, it's like, hey, hey, recruit, man up, you know, get back out there and do your thing again. And whether it's from this one incident or not, it's the prolonged exposure over a period of time. So when I talk to a first responder and, you know, when they're like, hey, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to get help because of, you know, X, Y, Z, I'm going to get fired from my department workman comp's not going to cover it. Uh, I just want to instill somebody if you're experiencing this stuff to get help, because what I'm seeing is all negative. You're talking about coping mechanisms, not talking about your feelings. I had superiors that would follow me out to my patrol car and laugh and say, Hey, I took my, my Xanax before tonight. I think I'm good to go. And you know, where I knew they were directing this towards me. I see. Uh, Wow. They were literally making fun of you for having gone through this and not, not quote unquote, dealing with it well. Right. And what am I going to do? I'm going to go tell my buddies about it. Right. And then it gets, it gets spread around like wildfire. Well, I'm, I'm having trouble on this call. There's no way I'm going to go talk and I'm going to get help because I'm going to be blackballed in the department. I might not get a promotion. They might think I'm, I hate hearing this word is they might think I'm crazy it's like you're not crazy. Your 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 brain has changed, and you experience something that is uncommon, um, a, a traumatic event that and is. You, uh, and unfortunately, you need to worry about if you're honest about what you're going through, and you're honest about how it's changed your life, and you're honest about needing help. You're unfortunately in an environment that it will damage your reputation. Absolutely. So even being here today, being removed for. Um, a couple years, right? I, I still am a little reserved. Mm -hmm. Like, what should I say? What should I? But if it helps somebody, so be it. So example is I went to go get help, right? And I remember going into an individual's office and saying, uh, hey, I'm having nightmares every night when I go home. I just, I get easily agitated. I'm constantly on edge. I have, I had a fifth of alcohol that was sitting underneath the driver's side of my truck. And I'm telling my supervisor this, right? Mm -hmm. And this person looks at me 
and said, get the F out of my office. You're trying to get the summer off. Wow. Wow. I mean, so talk being, about an environment that's not receptive. That's not uh that's that's not Ferris Bueller, you know, faking the uh faking sickness. That's some serious shit to bring to people. And um I'm very sorry she had to go through that. That's insane. And what does it teach you? I mean, you you are now you probably struggled with how, you know, with days or weeks before building up the courage to walk into that guy's office and you finally like, yep, yeah, I can't do it anymore. This is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to be vulnerable. And that's the reply you get. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I handed around to a few people because um, I, I had no idea what I, I heard post-traumatic stress, shell shock, you know, different versions of it. And I said, I thought it was guys that went overseas, you know, um, guys who experienced firefights, got blown up. And here I am just a cop, mm-hmm. you know, and. I have this, what I'm going to discover is post-traumatic stress. And um, it wasn't until I was on a call um, around the 4th of July, and we got a call of a a Marine that was um, locked himself in the back of the car when fireworks were going off. And um, he was, you know, he was having a hard time. And a lot of us didn't really know how to respond. I remember they called an officer who was a Marine to the scene and ended up calming it down. But the way the guy, when he came out of it, this Marine, and that look in his eyes, my partner I was on the call with looked at me and he said, hey, Kyle, you have that same look in your eyes way too much. Oh, And that, really? that stuck with me. Yeah, that, that really stuck with me. And I'm like, if other people are seeing this and I'm not feeling right, I'm kind of outspoken when I don't feel well, um, like I want to get help, right? And so... Um, that kind of gave me a little bit of the, the courage to do so. And when you go to get help, at least in my situation, there's, you know, disputes for workman comp issues. There's, um, you know, a whole array of different things that'll, that'll go on that if I knew about, if I knew that stuff took place, I probably wouldn't even attempted to get help. And I don't even want to think of where I would have been in that situation. Oh, wow. I mean, that's not good to hear. I mean, so you, so you walk into this, to bring it back for a second, you walk into this guy's office, you open yourself up, say, this is how I'm feeling. It's not right. I need help. He tells you to go jump off a cliff, suck it up, get back on the street and do your job, which I assume you do go back onto the street for how much longer? Right. I, I did um, go back for, it would have been almost three and a half years. Oh, geez, really? You la- Wow, that's incredible as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, looking back, and it's funny because I have a, a timeline and, and different uh, notes of, of my career, and I was looking at that today, and I'm like, how in the heck did I survive for three years? And, right. and again, I say it's that prolonged exposure that little did I know um, it's, it's almost like delayed onset muscle soreness, right? But for the brain where mm-hmm. all this stuff happened in a short period of time, five years. Um, I don't know if some of that could have been contributed to my years before, you know, being a cadet and an explorer. Um, I have no idea, but mm-hmm. on duty prolonged exposure would, you know, come to, uh, these different symptoms would show up, um, years later. 
Wow. And I assume for the next three and a half years, you weren't just rescuing cats out of trees. I mean, you were doing more, <laughs> more stressful things that only agitated your condition. And, and it looks like that, that kind of came to a head in, in 2010. So, so we, you make it through these next few years, but eventually it all caught up, correct? Yeah. Yeah. From that period of time, uh, I was hospitalized close to 12 times, um, various injuries, concussions, um, snap both my um, thumbs on a call, my lower back, Jeez. Um, some different lacerations of, of uh, certain areas of my, my body <laughs> and uh, um, some other calls that were just extremely tough that I didn't know would all encompass this, you know, prolonged exposure until, um, and, and through that I was, I was trying to get help. I, I noticed that things weren't firing right and um, in that time period, I, I went to an inpatient um, voluntary to an inpatient mental health center, um, and it was. And what did they what did they say? What did they what, what was their assertion like? Yeah, so it was um, when I went in there. It, it's so strange because there's really, at least what I found, nothing that would cater just to, to law enforcement at least that time at that time. So I would go to different things and have different group therapies, and I would be around people that would talk about their trauma, but their trauma that they experienced what on the other end of that trauma was police involvement and police showing. So I heard, you know, a story of a, a lady who witnessed um, a bunch of kids get killed on a bicycle, you know, on a, on a trail that got hit by or a roadway got hit by a car. And what that was doing to me is it was making me think of the young boy that I saw killed, you know, and, and things like that. So, um, it was three days and I tried to get the heck out of there. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't committed or anything like that, but I'm like, this is making it worse. I'm around different people. You know, I, I love hearing their stories and whatnot, but this isn't helping. Um, but in there they, they, um, deem me with a, a um, severe depression and anxiety, which was a result from, um, post-traumatic stress. And, um, after that I went back and I, I worked the road and, um, you know, when you experience these things and it just is some of the symptoms that come with it is um, you, your behavior is a little more erratic. So I, I didn't, you know, mind taking certain calls like calls would come through and I almost would jump them like, hey, I'll take that. I want to go to that because when I was feeling adrenaline, it was masking everything else. Oh, interesting. Almost like a kind of a bizarre coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of times you see when, you know, guys get out of the service and stuff like that, what do they do? They get, you know, fast motorcycles, motorcycles and, and skydiving. Yeah. Skydiving. <laughs> right. Cause you, you got to fill that adrenaline that, um, you know, somehow and, you know, just from that prolonged exposure, it, it led to, um, you know, adrenal fatigue where, you know, I just would dump adrenaline sometimes it said 25 to 30 times a day where I'd just be sitting there doing nothing and my body was going through the same response as that night that I got the, you know, snot kicked out of me. And it just, it starts to not make sense. And you start to cope and, and do. Can I ask a, a question? And, and I'm, I may not word it properly, but I'm, I don't have a lot of exposure to this. So it might be a little bit coarse in its delivery. But with, I mean, your story is, it blows my mind. What you're dealing with blows my mind. You're you know, you've got a traumatic brain injury, you're still on the job, you said you're, you know, you're drinking more than you should, all of this. 
are you functioning in society at this point in time? Like, do you have the wool pulled over people's eyes and only you know what's going on on the inside? Or is the little house of cards starting to fall down? Yeah, at that point, um, I was I was in my own little world. And what I didn't realize until looking at the outside in, I was around a, a lot of other guys who were in the same situation as me, just didn't maybe vocalize it. So what would we do? We'd, you know, 6 a.m., get off shift, and we'd go party for several hours and then go to sleep, get up, train, and then go back at it. And once that stopped, once I got back into society, when I ended up uh, uh, losing my career uh, there, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know what was next. I had a skill set that was this, and I had college, you know, college education prior and, um, but I just didn't know what to do. I was at, at a, at a loss. Is this rock bottom, you know, PTSD, brain injury, and now dream career is in the past, unemployed, the future's unknown. Is, is that the bottom? Yeah, I think, um, I think a few times I thought I hit rock bottom, you know, I was kind of surfacing the weeds at the bottom of the ocean at that point, <laughs> right. tangled up. Um, and I was gasping for air and, um, you know, something would come along and it was something small and it, it, it bring me up a little bit, you know, but, but little did I know a lot of that just was my emotions riding on this roller coaster of adrenaline and highs and lows and stuff like that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think I probably hit truly rock bottom this past April. Um, a series of events have happened leading up, um, but I, I ended up checking into a um, a center that specialized in in traumatic brain injury and uh, post traumatic stress, and uh, I'd say at that point I was at rock bottom. But I didn't know soon after I'd, I'd start swimming upward. So this facility that you checked on board, and maybe for the listeners at home, PTSD and TBI, are these things which can be cured, or can they only be managed? managed it's um i'm trying to think of the best way to put this um i have i've experienced some treatment options and um i I, i'll feel free to give my email out to anybody who has questions on this this center or anything like that but before i went in i went to a place in chicago that used light therapy and the refraction of different light uh different light colors using glasses uh, to go to different portions of your brain. I don't know all the technical stuff um, with it, but to relieve symptoms of somebody who had a, a TBI. And it was at that moment, it was the craziest thing because I didn't know how poorly my brain was functioning, right? I, I, I don't remember what it was like to feel good. And my son at the time, he was probably you know 10 months old. And he, after I got this treatment, he just sounded different. And I didn't know that the peripheral vision, wow. in my right eye was gone. And like my hunger started to come back and my hormones started to get in balance because your hormones can get all out of whack with, with TBI and post-traumatic stress. And um, I got a taste of what I remember feeling like before I got injured. And I said, I'm going to fight to feel this way. And if I can figure out a way to feel good and I know what's making me feel good, my guess is it's going to help somebody else feel good. Oh yeah. I, I was always taught that 
to be part of the um, solution and not the problem. And, and if I can use little managing techniques and different solutions and stuff like that to help people, then, then that's a win. And you just mentioned several treatment options, but does, you know, now bringing in functional movement or CrossFit or a healthy diet, you know, does do lifestyle changes such as that physical fitness help manage those symptoms in any way, shape or form? Yeah, I, I don't want it to sound hopeless when, when it, you can do any Google searches and, and you know, talk to people. There's just there's no no cure for it. Right. But managing, like you said, managing is um, I found physical fitness, um, functional fitness, CrossFit, especially um, to be the best managing tool for me. And now you can say, well, this works for you and you're, you're on this podcast with these guys. You got to say it. No, I don't have to say this. And um, I've worked with other guys, other veterans, other first responders and seen how well this has worked for people, how well functional fitness is. And, and what, in, what ties in with that, you know, with CrossFit and the diet is diet changes. Because little did I know when, when I went into the center that things like intake of sugar, um, intake of gluten, I'll go out now and I, I don't get, I don't eat gluten. And people are like, oh, you're one of those guys. You can't eat gluten. I'm like, no. One of those <laughs> if guys. I have, <laughs> if I have gluten, you know, the next day, um, I'll, I'll be crying like a little baby for no reason. Um, it, it, the fact that it has on your brain wow, after traumatic brain injury uh, is amazing. So for me personally, I follow, uh, follow mostly a, a ketogenic diet. Okay. Um, I found that and it's not because I like, you know, I haven't had the best results. I don't have the best performance with it, but if my upstairs is sound, I'd rather have that be better than, than anything else. Um, so yeah, coping mechanisms, you know, it beats, I, I was able to get off, you know, 98% of the medication I was on. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, drinking alcohol to, to cope, um, anger outbursts, just all the negative stuff that comes, comes with it. Um, I, I just, I'm such a believer that the, that utilizing CrossFit and training, um, can really help manage and, and reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. But let's get um, let's take that to the next level because you, I think, because of the results you saw, you started a CrossFit affiliate, correct? I did. Yeah, I did. tell me about that. Yeah, so um, a couple years after I got injured, I started training at a Globo gym, and this gym I actually would train at um, from back when I was in high school, right? So I'd always go to this gym with my cousin, and we do, you know, the Monday night chess night and then Tuesday by thing. And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Right? <laughs> I remember so that. We would, we would bro out quite a bit. And, um, once I got closer to the police Academy, I started, you know, running more and doing stuff like that. And then it was my second year on the road, uh, my best friend, uh, and we used to work together. He told me, Hey, you should check out this CrossFit thing. Right. And I'm like, what, what the heck is this? So he showed me a workout and it was like, He's explaining it, right? We're actually on a call together. And uh, he's like, <laughs> like you would start at this. It was so funny. He's like, you would start at this stop sign here and you'd run to here. And that's about 400 meters. And then you do kettlebell swings and you do that four times. And I, I looked at him. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I understand. Right? It always is. 
<laughs> so last time I saw a kettlebell, I, you know, I'll use it for like bicep curls or something. Um, so I didn't, I didn't touch it during while I, while I worked the road, I would do different movements, right. That were, um, you know, burpees and, and, and different things like that. But I, I wouldn't do CrossFit per se. Um, so after, uh, the career ended at the police department, I started working as a trainer at the same gym I went to in high school. And, um, that was linked into another gym that was, you know, ways away from us. And I would travel back and forth and, um, ended up finding out after working there a couple months that the, the gym was for sale. Um, my dad, he's a business guy and uh, he has a niche in, in getting businesses that are distraught. And little did we know that we were going to get into a mess. Um, but we ended up being able to purchase this, this gym. And I forgot to mention something that I, I in 2009, uh, my father actually reminded me of this, that I pulled over my patrol car and I, I called him and I said, dad, I, I just have this crazy vision, this crazy idea that I'm inside a gym and there's turf everywhere and there's at risk youth just sitting all over and there's other people. I don't know who they are. And he's like, well, maybe you need to start a gym or maybe you need to follow that. Like, no, I'm a cop and this is my dream and I got good benefits and all the good stuff. So I ignored that. And then once we acquired the gym, I re remember this passion that was instilled in me. And it was so crazy because I could sit and rattle off story after story how I started meeting these different veterans in the area. Mm. And um, I actually, I got a service dog in this time. And um, for a, a cop to get a service dog, you would just think normally you'd see a veteran with one, right? Um, this opened the door in my area to get a bunch of, uh, a few guys, I say five guys, about five guys, service dogs. Um, so, so that being said with the gym, I'm like, there's something, I don't know if this, you know, gym is like, if it's normal for a bunch of, you know, veterans and first responders to work out or, or what's happening. Um, so I decided, you know, CrossFit was kept coming up and I heard people, you know, talking about it and stuff like that. And. Um, about a year before this, I signed as an athlete with Optimum Nutrition, um, and they were talking about CrossFit, right? And there's no CrossFit athletes on the team. I'm like, I need to try this thing out. Um, so one of my buddies ended up coming to the gym who has an affiliate, and I thought it was going to be as simple as, all right, let's make this back area of the gym a pull-up rig and this, and we're CrossFit. But he was talking about the different dynamics and the workouts and the affiliates and everything that comes with it. Like, this sounds really, really exciting. Um, so we ended up moving forward with it. Um, I told you a little bit about the ongoing history with the gym. It was there 20-some years. So you can imagine when we implemented this, people got so pissed off. People but, do yeah, not like that. change. <laughs> yeah, you say that, but in your email, you, you, have to, you have to expand on that because I think this will blow minds because we always joke about like people are averse to, uh, I don't think I'm really going to try CrossFit or they have this emotional response. People, when you say they were pissed, like they were pissed. Pissed, yeah. We had, um, <laughs> so around this time I started doing stuff with, um, I was a, a chapter leader with Faith Rx here. And I remember like people would start to post on the Facebook page. It's wrong, but it's, it's funny <laughs> now looking at it. Um, like God doesn't pay your, your, uh, bills. Gym members do. And just like low blows like that. Right. No so way. mostly verbal. Yeah. Keeping it so classy. Same, yeah, keeping it classy. So the, 
the same kid that did this um, ended up getting kicked out of our gym, ended up coming back, um, and just they threw a fit. And to the point where I approached him again, and, and he, uh, he assaulted me. And one, one of my buddies is a Navy corpsman. Holy smokes. Kn- knew the level it was going to go to and just came up behind me and grabbed me and said, hey, it's not worth it. The police ended up coming out. The next day I went into work and uh, we were changing the music up and stuff. And, and somebody had took a dump on the toilet and put headphones in there. And just weird wow. stuff like that. We were getting so much resistance. Now, mind you, this gym <laughs> oh was my God. Know, a bunch right? of children. It, it, yes, yes. So the gym was about 11,000 square foot. Um, and the whole front half of it for these 20 plus years was a shake bar. So you got these guys who are stuck in the 90s who go do their thing <laughs> in their stringer tees and then they come out and then they slam these shakes, right? And then go do their thing in tan. Um, so I'm like, this is an opportunity to have business, right? We're, we're paying for this space. Right. Let's right. do something with it. So it was suit. All this that I mentioned started happening when we knocked out walls. It's like it, it's not affecting you. Your memberships aren't going up. This is dead space, and it just didn't get through to people. But I knew, I absolutely knew that the mission was greater. So I didn't, I didn't stop. So we ended up knocking a, a corner out that probably was, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how small it was. It was like the equivalent of probably six horse mats, six you know three by five okay, or whatever yep. horse mats in the corner, and. Um, a few people came and we were an affiliate at that time. And before that I went down to Rogan, Ohio and got my, my level one and, and I was loving it. And, um, that developed to, um, you know, me meeting different veterans and stuff that would come in and we had an extra space. And I said, well, I have this vision and this vision is to create a program that, um, it, it's, it's been all over the place right now, but the ultimate vision is to help pair veterans, first responders, and at-risk youth and utilize CrossFit to offset different um, um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And, and when somebody leaves the force or, or gets off deployment, that the um, CrossFit seems to fulfill. And somebody might say, well, why would you throw at-risk youth in there? And I think they're a missing link to this component because at-risk youth, you have a, a kid who's involved in gang violence, and he sees a shooting or he gets shot, What's the difference besides one's a hero and one's a dirtbag? You know, it's a and great way to look once at it. you add, yeah, and that's something I really never looked at before, especially in the profession I was in, and now being on the outside, you're like this might work. And so you have guys who miss battle buddies. You want somebody to have you know a purpose and a mission, and that mission might be this at-risk youth or getting him to come to the program. So. I mentioned this and I mentioned this vision and we were a step closer and we were a step closer. I'm like, we just need turf in here. If we could just get turf, this box would be complete. It would be so awesome. Buddy gets on Craigslist the next morning. There is 50 feet of turf right up the street for, for free at that a gym. It's awesome. Come, come pick this up, right? Come pick this up and it's yours. So the way this was set up, there was a second floor and on the second floor, um, was an old spin room and we turned this into what we called the victory room and it was all like pallet walls and old furniture and, and just a real cool feel and the vision was guys and girls could come train and they would have a place that would they would come up 
and they could just hang out, right? And we thought eventually we'd bring a therapist in there and under the radar, so it's not, you know, somebody is a little uneasy about going to their supervisor or something, they can come up here and nobody really knows that you're here. They're, you're here for a workout. So all this stuff was gaining steam. I was working with three jurisdictions to prep them for a long bike race. Um, and we got the unfortunate lose that we got put in checkmate with our, um, with our landlord and our note holder of the gym and everything was beyond our control. Oh, and did no. It was going to be gone. So we had this new room built, right? Which was fantastic. And people are utilizing it. Is it, is it, is it being kind of grasped for people into it? Yeah. You know, I, I kind of second guessed it, um, going into it. I'm like, if not, it's going to be a sweet office. Right. <laughs> and I had some clients that I was training that were really talented with this. And they said, you know what, we'll do this. We're going to donate it for you guys. You guys just pay for this, this, and this we'll do the labor. Awesome. So this was being built throughout the summer. Um, and one of the guys that I met through a crazy sequence of events that I won't get into, um, who will, battles with post-traumatic stress as a Marine, uh, he texted me and, um, it was all jarbled and I, I could recognize it is this guy's having a hard time. And I just remember in that text, the word fence coming through. Now I remember me saying that we did demo and we were doing all this different stuff. We put up these chain link fences at the gym. And so my thought was put some detective skills to use, right? All right. He's at the gym. And this was, this was around two in the morning on a weeknight. So I went to the gym um, and I saw his vehicle and his vehicle was parked in the back lot and the windows were, you know, steamed up. So I just shot him a text just to be safe. Um, hey, this is this is Kyle. I'm coming in in this vehicle right here. Um, and then I got a weird text back. So I just I approached his vehicle. And as I got to the driver's side of the vehicle, um, he had a pistol under his seat and he was pulling it up and he was getting it up to his mouth. And um, he was at his wits end. He was ready to quit. He was ready to give up. Um, and was able to to take that from him. And uh, we went inside the gym after that. And we went up to that. So just, and again, let's just be crystal clear. He was in your parking lot in the gym, ready to take his life. He's about to commit suicide. And he you, was ready you to talked, kill You talked him down, you got him inside. Talked him down, got him inside. Uh, went inside. And uh, this room at the time was under construction. And we went up to this room and we just sat. And it was at that moment on the concrete floor on a room that I had a vision. I had no clue what it was going to look like where I said, this is it. This needs to change lives. And I sat. I chatted with him. Um, my service dog played with him <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and now, you know, through that, he was able to get a service dog, which is ironically my dog's granddaughter. Oh, oh wow. Um, and, uh, you know, we're we're very close friends to this day. And, um, but, but it seems, so I don't miss the gym, right? I don't, I miss that. And, um, with that being said, once we got that news, I, I'm sure you can imagine that it, it just was gut wrenching. One is I had a family to provide for at the time. And two, where are all these guys going to go? Some would come and sit for eight to 10 hours, eight to 10 hours. Mind boggling. And just sit and chat. So the question was, what's next? So dad that I mentioned has a factory, um, a lot of open space, a lot of moving parts with that right now. Uh, it's like, let's try to put it in here. Um, so 
we did it and we chipped away and there was excitement and there was, you know, I'm going to come CrossFit there. Um, I'm going to be able to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And, you know, people just, when things are down and out, a lot of people don't like to stick around. And, um, so last summer or this, um, past spring before going into the treatment center, um, I did everything I could to try to chip away and to try to get this going. Um, so we got the victory room built. You know, we, we reintegrated the same concept of the victory room here. Um, and then next to that, it's um, in an open warehouse. But things, symptoms with me started to get worse. Um, and that's when I checked into the center and everything got put on on hold at that point. Well, give me a time frame. What are we we're talking about? This is recent history now? Yeah, this was uh, this past April. So okay. I was in there, uh, oh, gosh, I think it was the end of April. Um, I was there 45 days plus um, five days post-treatment. So important to say that it's 2000. This is almost this is almost a decade after your initial traumatic brain injury, and you've had some huge successes. But it's like it's not you're not out of the woods, even this far after the event. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it, it is, and I think that can go anybody that you know that's listening to this is that if you've experienced trauma, you experienced hardships before, uh, it will create a sense of resilience in you that can't be taken you know, from you. I think it was Gen- General Mattis that said, um, post-traumatic stress is also post-traumatic growth. There's, there's growing that can come from it. So I'm, I'm not out of the woods. I'm not rock bottom right now, I'll tell you that much. But what keeps me going is, is um, trying to get this vision, trying to get this, uh, this program off the ground. And it, it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's about continuing to serve. And continue to help these guys. Um, and I think where my passion comes from this is because I know how dark it can get. It is it is absolute hell. It's absolute torture. There's the possibility to lose so much from it. Um, but if I can just give a little, little light of hope, just a little help, and use it for my experience with, with CrossFit and community and all that good stuff, then by all means, I'm going to do it. But there's been some resistance along the way. <laughs> For sure. Just judging by, I mean, your story has so many, it's like a roller coaster, so many highs and so many lows and the highs are really high, but you know, let's not sugarcoat it. The lows are, are so much lower than most people deal with. And you still somehow have the tenacity to claw back up again and get on, get on the top once again. So if at this potential point in your life, you know, that, that dream or that vision isn't yet tangible or it's still not fulfilled i'll tell you what brother i mean from what you've gone through and what you've battled through i've got no doubt that you're going to make it happen thank you you know you know saying that is uh super encouraging and um having people around you that believe in that you know that you know truly believe in you helps keep you going it's i think i think all the time it's like that encounter i told you and on the other end of the mic is your buddy going, hang on, we're coming for you. Hang on, we're coming for you. The hard part's over. You've been through worse before, right? So every time something gets thrown at me or if you're listening gets thrown at you, think of it as an opportunity to grow. And um, he said builds up that resiliency and tenacity to, to keep pushing forward. The uh, So the dream has taken shape in the form of uh, something you call the hook. Why is it called that? Yeah, so um, 
I thought, uh, <laughs> trying to think how, we, how deep we want to get into this. Let's just say that I, I had the idea um, for the hook as that fitness would just be, I, I thought of, I thought of a bunch of people coming together in an area like CrossFit, right? A bunch of people and being brought into one common purpose to get into shape, to build community, all the good stuff that comes from it. Um, and, but be able to minister and to help people using post-traumatic stress. So the hook would be fitness where you get people in. That's what was happening at the gym. Veterans were coming in. We weren't, we weren't advertising saying, Hey, if you served, come in at one point we were, Hey, if you were a cop or you were a firefighter or trauma nurse, come in, we'll, we'll show you this. It just happened. So fitness was that hook to, to do it. And it just so happens I have a scar on my body that's shaped like a hook. That's uh, a whole, <laughs> whole different story. What a, fort- what a fortunate coincidence. Hey, there's a uh, there's a over a decade old Greg Glassman quote that is, they come for the fitness and they stay for the community. And it's just, it's exactly it. It's the, that's the hook, man. You know, you tell them you're going to get beautiful abs and you're going to look good naked, but you don't realize that you're actually going to also gain an entire community of like-minded people who have the same goals and vision as you do. It's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a uh, so, it's so CrossFit so CrossFit the hook. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Let's make sure the affiliate name's not taken. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Snatch that up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I'm sorry, I cut you off though. So I, I I love the the vision. It sounds beautiful. And how close to where are you at in the in the reality of this? Making it a making it a tangible thing. Yeah. So the pause button kind of got hit when I got put into the center. Um, that was real. I mean, that was an intricate part. But when I went in there, uh, unfortunately, my wife left me. Uh, some other stuff, you know. How I'm, I'm in a, a treatment center. I'm trying to better myself. Um, so this thing that I thought would have been, you know, taken off this summer, um, really got put on hold. And um, I had a buddy when I was in there. I, so it's set up for veterans. Um, NFL players and first responders. And I remember this veteran always would come up to me, ended up being one of my close buddies. And the first day there, he comes up and he lifts up his shirt. And he's like, man, I used to have abs. Check this out. And then he had two scars where his spleen was removed and some ribs were taken out. And he was blown up uh, two years ago in Iraq, um, or sorry, in Afghanistan. And um, he would tell me his stories. And I would see him go train. And I'd see him try to do it. And every time I would see him, that would put a little fire in me. So while I was there, there was actually programs that we did. So when you transition out, whatever you're working on, um, you have different tools to use to do it. So I would work on this hook or, um, you know, this, this building that we're working on. And um, so I got out. He still was in there. Um, he was in there quite a bit longer. And then um, all my old equipment, I moved out to my garage and uh, trade out my garage and I went out there uh, a couple months ago, about a month and a half ago to train early in the morning and I got a phone call and uh, that phone call was at this individual that I'm speaking of. Um, he lost his battle to post-traumatic stress and ended up uh, losing his life. And uh-huh. um, at that point, uh, that day I drove down to the, the victory room that was being built and every nail that was nailed into a board or every wall that was painted. I just thought of him and not just him, but the other guys that, cause he, he was excited. He's like, he wasn't far from it. He's like, when you get that up, I'm going to come to it. And I'd like to work out and I'd like to be around it. And I know you can't Monday morning quarterback it, but it's like, what if it just was done? 
And so with all those dynamics, and I just was down there today to, to revisit it, revisit the vision, um, it's moving a little slower, but um, I'd say we're about at a halfway point for for getting it, uh, getting it going. Well, I Good. mean, uh, hopefully that, like you said, you, you could look at the two ways, right? You could quarterback it and be like, uh, it should have been built already. Maybe that would have happened. Or you can look at it how I hope you do, which is, it just it just shows how much there is a need for exactly what you are trying to do, you know, with your future uh, affiliate or helping individuals who have, you know, had the same experiences that you do. So hopefully, it just continues to let that fire burn in you. That even though the road is challenging, you're on the right course, you're on the right road, and 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 you will achieve it. So earlier, you mentioned if other people you know, want to reach out to you. Maybe they're in a tough place. They're not sure what to do. That that's not, that's something you would be open to. So, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty open book. I don't mind uh, giving my my email out um, or uh, on Instagram. I get messages through there, and my uh, Instagram handle is uh, Kyle K Y L E last H E I N zero three three. Um, and then my email is just my last name, H-E-I-N dot K-Y-L-E at gmail.com. And uh, like I said, that, that's, what keeps, that's what keeps me going now. That's my, that's my way to serve and to get back. And I just think, think it's so crazy through different techniques, um, going into different treatment centers and facilities, um, how much CrossFit by different movements, by, you know, having time methods and stuff, how those are actually used for coping mechanisms and stuff. And it just, it blows my mind, you know? Uh, Kyle, thank I mean, all I can say is thank you. Thank you for what you did when you put on a uniform and helped keep people safe and had no idea what was going on in the dark corners of the world. Thanks for what you're trying to do, what you have done with, regular folks, veterans, first responders, you name it. And thanks for having the courage to share your story with the community. I'll, uh, yeah, and uh, amen that. And just to back that up, let, let us know, you've got our email now, how we could potentially help you in that. I think it's for me, you know, at, le- at least Pat can speak from the, the experience of someone who's served in the military. I don't have that. So I want to thank you as well from the bottom of my heart and re- recognize, you know, for our audience that, you're telling your story, which reads again, like, you know, like an action novel. Like I've seen something like that on television, the fight that you described for the first 20 minutes of this show. I was just absolutely captivated and enthralled, but that's your life, man. And I understand that's an experience. It's not here for entertainment. It's here and it's something that you experience and it's, it's got some real heavy impact and lasting impact. And I love how real this conversation is. Cause it's not, it's not this happy, bright rainbow ending. Like you're doing amazing things, but you're still in the battle. Mm-hmm. And, um, seriously, uh, let let us know how we can help, but I, just so appreciate the conversation and the time. Yeah. Thanks for letting me get on here and, and share a little bit of my story. And, uh, I always, you know, believe everybody has a story to tell and I'm, I'm thankful that you guys gave me a chance to chat with you guys and a platform to get it out there and, and hopefully it, uh, helps some people out there. Well, thanks Kyle. You got this brother. All right, thank you. All right, Kyle. Take care, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot guys. Okay, everybody, that was our interview with Kyle. I mean, without question, totally unique in all the with all the CrossFitters that we've spoken to thus far. And I don't want to say it doesn't really have a, a happy ending, but the ending is still a, a work in progress. Kyle's story is still continuing to this day. We hope that he can 
get a new CrossFit affiliate off the ground and we can check back in with them. If you have guest ideas, if you enjoy the show, if you have constructive criticism, please send us an email to patandrowshow at crossfit.com and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, everybody.